It is no secret, as I have mentioned this before, the Christian doctrine that amazes me the most is the doctrine of the Incarnation. The fact that God became a man in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? God became a man in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. C.S. Lewis, in his famous essay titled The Grand Miracle, he said this, the central miracle asserted by Christians is the incarnation. It's the grand miracle and one we're so easy to lose sight of in light of all the hubbub that fills our Christmas season. To C.S. Lewis, the incarnation was the greatest miracle of all. Of course, the resurrection is the grand pillar of our faith, but without Christ's birth, there wouldn't be a resurrection. It is indeed amazing. Even the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, speaking of the incarnation. In the Gospel of Matthew, we read this message. The child who has been conceived in her, in Mary, is of the Holy Spirit. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel with an I is the original Hebrew name. Emmanuel with an E is the Greek translation. Either way, Emmanuel translated means God with us. Isn't that amazing? God with us. How are we to conceive that those who saw the face of Jesus, they saw the face of God? How are we to conceive that those who heard the voice of Jesus, they heard the voice of God? In confirmation of that, the Bible tells us in the book of Colossians, for in him... All the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Jesus was born as a human being. He was fully man, yet he remained fully God. All the fullness of deity, fully God, dwelling in bodily form, fully man. This morning, still in the amazement of the incarnation, I want to highlight for us in this Christmas message the classic biblical passage about the incarnation of Christ. And that is in the letter to the Philippians in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, where the Bible says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This passage, this classic passage on the incarnation of Christ, first of all, it speaks to us about the example of Christ. 
the example of Christ. Paul says in verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. Before expounding on the humility of Christ during his incarnation, Paul first exhorts us as Christians that we too must show humility following the example of Christ. He explains this in the previous verses, in verses 3 and 4, where the Bible says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Also for the interests of others. Verse 3 defines for us what humility is. As it says, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Humility is to avoid thinking of ourselves as superior to others. Christmas, for us, must first of all remind us of the humility that we must show following the example of Christ. To be humble is not our natural tendency to demonstrate. But if the Lord left the glories of heaven and became humbled for our good, shouldn't we all strive to show humility ourselves? He left us the example of humility for you and I to follow. But secondly, the message of incarnation also speaks of the eternality of Christ. The eternality of Christ. The Bible says in verse 5 and 6, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He existed in the form of God. This means that Christ is eternal. In eternity past, before his incarnation, Jesus existed as God with the Father. He confirms this as he speaks to the Father in his priestly prayer in John chapter 17, where he says, Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the eternal God. Now, most false religions will deny the deity and eternality of Christ. For example, to Mormons... Jesus is simply the older brother of Satan. To Jehovah Witnesses, Jesus is Michael, the archangel. To Muslims, Jesus was just a prophet sent by Allah, inferior to Muhammad. But the Bible tells us why false religions spread falsehoods about Christ. John the Apostle explains to us why in 1 John chapter 2 where he says, Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father, but the one who confesses the Son has the Father also. The world may try to deny the eternality and deity of Christ, but for those of us who are Christians and walk in the truth, Christ Jesus, he is the eternal God. Thirdly, in this passage on the incarnation, we also see the emptying of Christ. The Bible tells us in verse 6, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. 
Notice, the Bible says he did not regard equality with God. Verse 6 is once again confirming that Jesus is God. He was equal with God as he spoke many times about this truth. For example, in John in chapter 10 in verse 30, he said, I and the Father are one. And in John chapter 14, the Bible says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Jesus affirmed this truth many times, that he and the Father are one, that he is equal with God. However, in his incarnation, he did not consider equality with God something that he should hold on to, something that he would grasp. But he voluntarily gave up certain divine privileges during his time on earth. And for this reason, the Bible says in verse 7, that he emptied himself. He emptied himself. Now, it is essential for you and me to understand that when the Bible says that Jesus emptied himself, it does not mean that he stopped being God. Jesus never stopped being God. What it means is, first of all, the emptying of Christ is in relation to the fact that he submitted to the Father's will. Jesus submitted himself to the Father's will. The Bible says in, John, in, in verse 7 again, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant. He humbled himself by emptying himself, making himself the form of a slave. He obeyed the Father fully. He submitted to the will of the Father. But not only he emptied himself because he submitted to the will of the Father, the Bible also tells us in John chapter 14, he said in confirmation, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who has sent me. And the Bible also explains to us a second reason why the Bible tells us that Jesus emptied himself during his incarnation. It is because as God, he became man. And that is the amazement of the incarnation. As God, he became man. He became God in human flesh. Notice that the Bible says he emptied himself being made in the likeness of man. He never stopped being God. But while he never renounced, he never relinquished his divine nature, he took on human nature. Jesus remained God, but he also became a man. Jesus experienced all the needs and frailties of the human body. He could become thirsty. He could become hungry. He could become tired. He could become sad. All in all, Jesus became the only God-man. He is the only God-man, the only one with a theanthropic nature. He is God and he is man. Paul the Apostle, speaking to his son in the faith, Timothy, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Jesus is the only God-man because he is the only one who is eternal and immortal, as the Bible tells us here. 
To be eternal means to have no beginning and no end. As we're reading Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, his name is I am. It speaks of the aseity of God, of the fact that God has no beginning and no end, a concept too grand for our minds to comprehend. He is eternal, no beginning, no end. But to be immortal means to have a beginning but no end. All of us as human beings, we are immortal because we all have a beginning. We all have a date of birth. But we will all live forever, either in heaven or hell, but we will all live forever. Jesus is both eternal and immortal, the only one who is the God-man because as God, he is the eternal I am, as it says in John chapter 8, verse 58. But as man, he was born once and he lives forevermore. To the king, eternal and immortal. I want you to see one more thing. When we speak of the emptying of Christ in the incarnation, he submitted to the Father's will, and as God, he became a man. But Paul highlights something very important in verse 8. In verse 7, he had said, being made in the likeness of man, being found in appearance as a man. Notice that Paul is not just repeating what he had just said in verse 7. When he says Jesus was found in appearance as a man, he is not just repeating that he was made in the likeness of man. To be found in appearance of man, to be found in appearance as a man, it means that those who looked upon Jesus, those who saw Jesus, those who were living 2,000 years ago and were able to interact with Jesus, they knew that they were seeing a real person, a real human being. In other words, being made in the likeness of man it speaks of Jesus' experience on the inside. He was made a human being. Being found in the appearance as a man, it speaks of what all could see on the outside. They knew that he was a real person. Why is this point important? Because in the same way that there are people who try to deny the deity of Christ, there are those who try to deny the humanity of Christ, saying that he was just a spirit. And once again, John the Apostle explains why this happens. In 2 John, he says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, refusing to confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. The same spirit of the antichrist that is already at work in the world that tries to deny that Jesus is God, that the deity of Jesus is the same spirit that tries to convince many that trying to deny the humanity of Christ, that Jesus was indeed a human being. For us, as Christians walking in the truth, we know that he is the only God-man. He is God in human flesh. Next in our verses on the incarnation of Christ, we also see about the expiation by Christ. Expiation is simply a theological term that refers to what Christ did for the forgiveness of our sins. It refers to the price that Christ paid for our salvation. The Bible tells us in verse 8, Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
The Lord not only humbled himself by accepting the Father's plan, being born a human being, but he further humbled himself by accepting his sacrificial death on the cross. The physical suffering was horrific, but the spiritual suffering was far worse. For this reason, we read in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, that Jesus Christ, he cried out to the Father with loud cries that if it were at all possible for the cup of the Father's wrath against our sins to be passed from him. But Jesus was obedient to the Father, to the plan of the Father. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And he indeed drank of the cup of the Father's wrath for our sins. And he paid the price completely. So that now we can say, because Jesus has completed the Father's plan by dying for us on the Calvary's cross, paying the price, paying the price for the paying the penalty for our sins, for the forgiveness of our sins, we can say without any doubt that our past sins have been forgiven, that our present sins have been forgiven, and what Christ did for us at the cross even have granted us forgiveness even of our future sins. For this reason, Jesus cried out at the cross in John chapter 19, verse 30, that it is finished because our sin debt had been paid completely, had been paid in full. And I want you to understand this. During those six hours that Jesus hung on that cross before his death, from nine in the morning until three in the afternoon, he satisfied the Father's wrath for the forgiveness of our sins so that he could bring a salvation to our souls. Now the decision is yours. You can repent of your sins and accept what Jesus Christ did for you and completed the work in those six hours. Or you can reject what Christ did, but you would have to pay the price for your own sins. Not for six hours, not for 6,000 years, not for 6 million years, but for all eternity separated from God. The choice is yours. I pray that the Spirit of God will work conviction within you so that during this Christmas you understand the true message of that baby who was born to die for me and for you. I pray that you would repent of your sins and recognize Jesus Christ as your Savior. What he did in those six hours, no one could do for an entire eternity. But the message of Emmanuel, God with us, the message of the incarnation of Christ culminates with the exaltation of Christ. The Bible tells us, for this reason also, God highly exalted him. For what reason? God highly exalted him for this reason. What is that reason? Because he humbled himself to die. He humbled himself to death on the cross, taking my place and taking your place so that we could be forgiven from our sins. And God highly exalted him in three ways. God exalted the Son. The Father exalted the Son first. In his resurrection. He was first exalted in his resurrection. The Bible tells us in Revelation in chapter 1, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Jesus became the firstborn of the dead. 
First, God the Father exalted the Son by making him the firstborn of the dead. Jesus was the first to be raised from the dead, never to die again. Others, like Lazarus, they were risen from the dead, but they died again afterwards. Lazarus was not resurrected. He was resuscitated. Even though he had been dead for four days, he came back to life, but ultimately he would die again. Jesus, he rose from his tomb never to experience death again, but he was exalted to the place of honor at the right hand of the Father. Peter the Apostle speaks of this on the day of Pentecost in the book of Acts. The Bible says, this Jesus, Peter says, God raised up again to which we are all witnesses, having been exalted to the right hand of the Father. The resurrection was the proof that God accepted the Son's sacrifice for our forgiveness, for the salvation of our souls. And as proof, he exalted the Son to the place of prominence at the right hand of the Father. But God also exalted Christ in his reign. Jesus was exalted by the Father in his reign. Now he reigns as king over an invisible spiritual kingdom in the lives of all those who believe in him. He is exalted as the king of a spiritual kingdom, as he says in John chapter 18, verse 36. But soon, God will not only exalt Christ in this spiritual kingdom that you and I as Christians we participate in and we are part of, but God will soon exalt the Son to be king over a visible, material kingdom right here on earth. When we look at the prophetic events described and demonstrated in the Bible, what is the next event in God's prophetic calendar? It is the rapture of the church. When Christ will stop at the clouds, as the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, verse 13 through 17, and all of us, part of the church, believers in Christ, will be taken up to heaven. The Bible tells us that those who died in Christ, they will be raised first in their resurrected bodies. And their resurrected bodies will meet their souls coming down from heaven. And at that very moment, those of us who will be alive at the moment of the rapture, we will be changed, we will be transformed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And we will meet them in the air to be with the Lord 30,000 feet up in the air where the Lord will stop in the clouds. In a second, we will be with them. We will be with him, our Lord, forevermore. Here on earth, it will be the beginning of a seven-year tribulation period. And that includes a period of three and a half years that the Bible calls the Great Tribulation. As the Lord says in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. And at the end of those seven years of tribulation, the Lord Jesus, he will come back to earth. And he will come not as a lamb, but he will come as a lion. It will be the second coming of Christ when God will exalt the Son. And then he will begin his physical, his, his physical visible, material kingdom here on earth. One thousand years that he will be reigning here on this earth, as the Bible tells us in Revelation in chapter 20, in verse 4. And he will be reigning from Jerusalem. We read that in Zechariah chapter 8, verse 3. The Father will exalt the Son to reign, not only as he reigns now in an invisible kingdom within each and every one of us as part of the bride of Christ, but Jesus Christ will return and he will reign on earth to establish his kingdom, 
his millennial kingdom. But thirdly, the Father will not only exalt the Son in his resurrection, in his reign, but also in his recognition. The Bible tells us in verse 9, For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. He bestowed upon Jesus the name which is above every name. And what is that name? That name is Lord. The one who has received authority and power to reign as king is the one who exercises authority and power as Lord over all. The Bible tells us in Revelation in chapter 19, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He is king over all and he is Lord over all. He has received a name that is above every name. And the Bible tells us, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And every knee will bow those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Who are those who are in heaven? They are first the holy angels who day and night they proclaim the holiness of God and confess him as Lord but also the souls of those believers who have died and gone to heaven. They too join the heavenly choir to proclaim the Lordship of Christ, to proclaim the holiness of God, as we read in Revelation chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. But who are those who also bow their knees on earth and confess Jesus Christ as Lord? Who are they? That's you and me. That's all of us here on earth who have already confessed and submitted to the Lordship of Christ. As we read in Romans chapter 10 verse 9. That if anyone confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and believes that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All of us have confessed the Lordship of Christ. We have confessed him as Lord for our salvation. And we must continue to obey him as Lord for our sanctification. We praise the Lord for he has revealed himself to us and has given us eternal salvation. But lastly, the Bible says that not only those who are in heaven and all of us who are on earth, but also those under the earth will also proclaim Jesus as Lord. And who are they? That includes every human being who unfortunately during their time alive on this earth, they did not confess Jesus as their Lord. But for all eternity in hell, they will realize that Jesus is Lord and they will confess him as Lord. Too late, they have missed the opportunity to do so while they were alive here on this earth. And they will be joined by all the fallen angels, by Satan and his demons. But they too will confess that Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. The Bible tells us in Revelation in chapter 5, Every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. Every knee shall bow 
And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you believe? Brothers and sisters, the incarnation of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas was only the beginning. He began the unfolding of the marvelous plan of God for the salvation, for the redemption of all those who believe in him. The story of that baby in a manger will culminate with each and every one of us, saints of God, worshiping the Father and worshiping the Son forevermore. Isn't that amazing? Oh, yes, it is. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you. We praise you for sending your Son to be born here on this earth for the purpose of saving us. Oh, Father, who are we that you are mindful of us? We are so thankful for your blessings upon our lives, for your grace, for the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. And I pray, Father, besides all the hustle and bustle of this Christmas season, that each and every one of us would pay attention to the most important message, that God became a man for the salvation of mankind for the salvation of those who believe in him. Bless us, we pray. May your name be glorified as we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. I wish you a Merry Christmas. God bless you.